know about you, but if you grew up in the church or maybe you went to VBS as a kid, you're probably familiar with Jonah, at least somewhat familiar. Because when you say the name Jonah, you think, yeah, that's the guy with the big fish, or that's the guy who got eaten by the whale. And that's a fun part of the story, but that's not all that Jonah's about. See, Jonah is about a, a man who God put a call on his life, but Jonah decided to run from God's call. I don't know if any of you guys have been watching the Olympics this last two weeks, but I, I love the Olympics, and I love that you can actually watch just the, the highlights now. And, and so we, me and the girls have been sitting down at night watching the highlights, and we love the swimming, and I just really love track and field. And I don't know, have you guys tuned into any of the discus events? I mean, these are amazing. These guys are like six foot five, 280, but more nimble than Napoleon Dynamite at a talent show competition. I mean, these guys are impressive. But what really caught my eye was the other night, the 400-meter hurdles. Did you guys watch this? Sydney McLaughlin was the runner for the U.S., and she set the world record, set the Olympic record. It was an incredible run. And I don't know if any of you guys used to run track. The 400 meters is one lap around the track. But then you mix in some hurdles every so often that you have to hurdle over a gate while running, while sprinting. You know, when I'm running around my house at night to turn off the lights, I have to sprint over pillows and I still fall down. Could you imagine jumping over a gate? But if you saw the run, go back and, and look it up. Watch it on YouTube. It was incredible. So McLaughlin's running full sprint, striding over these gates like it's nothing. Gold medal run. She's neck and neck with uh, a couple other runners. And she crosses that last gate. But something incredible happens. If you watch it slow-mo, you can see it. She does something to kick into high gear. She has this little twitch that she does. And immediately she moves into full-on sprint. And the only thing that's left now between her and the finish line is space. And so she turns it on, and it was incredible. The, the, the announcers were gushing, oh, my gosh, we haven't seen anything like this. She's going to do it. She's going to set the record. And she crosses the, finish, crosses the finish line and sets the world record at the 400-meter hurdles at 51.46 seconds, which, by the way, is super fast, super fast. And it was amazing to see. She'd worked for four years to get to this place, and she ran with determination and heart to that finish line. And it got me thinking as I was watching that race about how hard she worked and how hard she ran down that stretch to get to the finish line to win that gold medal. And I was thinking about myself, and I, I was wondering, do I ever run that hard? You know, do I ever get myself in a place where I kick it into high gear and run as hard as I can? And then I thought to myself, it seems like the only times in my life where I run that fast, it's not when I'm running towards the finish line but usually it's when I'm running away from something. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but you're in a situation in life where maybe it's a relationship that's got some tension or, or something seems to be difficult. Maybe it's at home or it's in a friendship and you know it's going to take some work, but rather than running in to fix it, you run out. Or maybe you've been in that situation at work where things are just messy and, and you know that, that it, it can be solved, but it's going to be hard. So instead of sprinting in and trying to solve it sooner, you just decide the easiest thing for me to do is to, to leave. So I think we've all had those times in our life when we know that there's an uncomfortable situation or we're, we're worried about an outcome and we think that the easiest thing to do for us is to go, to run away. Because we think that maybe we can avoid the outcome or we can at least delay it. But I think we all know that in reality, no matter how long you try to avoid something, it always comes back around. 
But how about when God calls us to do something? How about when God speaks into our life, and maybe it's through uh, spending time in his word, or it's through the words of a friend, or, or God's stirring up something in your heart, and you see that God's speaking to you, and you know it's going to be hard, and you know it's going to be difficult. How many times have we decided that the best thing for me right now is to run out and go the other direction? So this is what the book of Jonah is all about. Yeah, it's about a fish or a whale. It's a really great account of God's amazing providence. It's an amazing account of God's control over creation, but it's about a man who ran away from God. And I think a lot of, our, a lot of us can find ourselves in this story. It's about a man who was relentlessly chased by the grace of God. And so I hope as we spend these next four weeks in this book, we're going to see how God is speaking to us and he's calling us to stop running. Because God wants us to see that if you feel tension or the temptation in your life to run from God, then that's an invitation to draw closer. And as we dive into chapter one today, I want you to ask the question, is there an area in your life right now where you're running from God, where he's calling you to run towards him? So if you have your Bible, let's look together here in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to cover a lot of verses today, but we're just going to start here with the first four. Did you guys find Jonah yet? Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Obi-Wan Kenobi, right there in the middle. All right, Jonah chapter 1. Let's just start here with the first three verses. God tells us this. He says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, some son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He, from the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Forefront, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So verse 1 tells us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So what we see here is that God speaks to Jonah. Jonah was a prophet, and Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, a little history lesson, if you guys will remember, when David and Solomon were king of Israel, there was 12 tribes. And so these 12 tribes made up the entire kingdom. But when, after Solomon passed away, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, took control and they revolted against his leadership and the nation split. Two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, went south. That, became, that, that was Judah and everything else went north and that was Israel. Jonah was a prophet to Israel, to the northern kingdom. And Jonah lived in the, the, maybe the mid-900s B.C., so Jonah was a prophet, and you can actually read about some of the ways that God used Jonah in the book of 2 Kings in chapter 13, but really we don't know much about Jonah outside of this book about him. We don't know that much about his dad's name is Amittai. We know that he's called a reluctant prophet because of what we see in this book, but outside of that we don't know a whole lot. But I believe even if there's a book that we don't have a lot of detail about his life, God has a huge lesson for us. And a lesson that's so powerful, it can completely change our lives. So notice what happens with Jonah, verse 2. God speaks to Jonah, and he says this. He says, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and go and call out against it. For the evil has come up before me. And so Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So God speaks to Jonah, and Jonah runs away. Why? 
Well, for us, we don't know a whole, we, we probably, you know, Nineveh doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but in Jonah, Jonah's time, Nineveh was a big deal. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Nineveh was, what they say at that time, the biggest city in the world. It was a huge city. It took you three days' journey to get across. Nineveh was technologically advanced. They had a postal service. They had running water. It was a huge place. But Nineveh was also a place that was an enemy of Israel. It was, it was the Assyrians. And the Assyrians tried to conquer Israel three different times and eventually succeeded. And so Jonah hated the Assyrians. And Jonah hated Nineveh. And so by God calling him to Nineveh, he's thinking, no way. I'm not going at all. Because God didn't call Jonah to go serve at a homeless shelter in Nineveh. God called Jonah to walk into Nineveh, into the heart of the city, and call out against it and tell them to repent. See, Nineveh was not a good place. It was a very wicked city. If your stomach turns watching The Quiet Place, you don't want to do anything at Nineveh. Nineveh was a terrible place. The Assyrians were a world power, and they decided that their method to strike fear in their neighbors would be to go in, and anytime there was a, a conquering battle, they would take the leaders out in front of the city, and they would all lose their lives just to show them, you don't want to mess with the Assyrians. They would actually take their body parts and create a pyramid out front for anybody that came by to show you, don't mess with Nineveh. Don't mess with the Assyrians. It was not a good place. And so when God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, he's like, no way. For one, I hate those guys. And two, I'm probably going to lose my life. And so Jonah sees this call from God and decides, I've got to get out of here. Because what Jonah wanted was for Nineveh to get wiped out, not for Nineveh to be saved. It's kind of like you Bronco fans, Tom Brady, right? You're like, well, somebody please just take care of Tom Brady. You're like, can we just see him retire, right? We've, we've had enough. So Jonah takes off from Nineveh. Nineveh actually is modern-day Mosul, Iraq. So Nineveh was the grandparents of the current leaders of ISIS and Taliban. And that tells you that Jonah did not want anything to do with them. So Jonah says, I'm going to get as far away as I can. Notice what he does. Look here at verse 3. and says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, I'm going to show you a map so you kind of have an idea where we're talking about here. What we see is that Tarshish is, um, is all the way in Spain. Jonah is in Judah, and Assyria, Nineveh is in Assyria. So notice the distance that Jonah has to cover here to get away from God's call in his life. But as we, as we see this story unfold over these next four weeks, what I want us to see is that God reveals truths to us about how it impacts us in our lives. And we, we really see four truths in chapter one. And the first one we see is this, that God may ask us to do things that are out of our comfort zone. God asked Jonah to do something that was out of his comfort zone, and God may ask you to do something that is out of yours. Now, the truth is, God's not asking you to walk into Mosul, Iraq, most likely not asking you to go to Mosul and talk to the leaders of ISIS. But God may be speaking to you and calling you to do something that's uncomfortable, that's going to pull you out of that comfort zone. You know, God may be speaking to you to go extend forgiveness to somebody that hurts you, and you know how hard that's going to be. God may be asking you to ask for forgiveness to somebody you hurt. Or, or maybe it's tough sledding at home right now, and so God's calling you to lean in with your kids or with your spouse. The difficulties at work, and God's telling you that he needs you to step in and be the man, the woman he's called you to be. 
Maybe for, God, for you, God's calling you to, to step out and, and begin giving or begin tithing, or God's calling you to step across the street and invite your neighbor to church or to share the gospel. God doesn't always ask us to do things that are comfortable, but God promises when he asks us to do things that he's always going to be with us. Amen? But God's always going to be walking alongside us. And so Jonah gets this call, and it's outside of his comfort zone, and he decides to run away. Now, for us, sometimes we may not run away, but what we tend to do is build hideouts for ourselves, don't we? God may ask us to do something hard or uncomfortable, and we end up trying to to get away or to, to build somewhere that we feel like is safe for us, or maybe we even turn a deaf ear. See, notice how far Jonah ran. It's interesting, when you look at this map, so he went down to Joppa. I'll throw the map back up here. He went down to the city of Joppa. Joppa is what we know as today as Tel Aviv, Israel. So he goes down to Joppa, and he hops on a boat. Now, for Jonah to get to Assyria, it was about 725 miles. Tarshish, on the other hand, was 2,500 miles the other direction. Notice how far Jonah ran to get away from God, thinking he could outrun God. But there's a truth I think God wants us to see in this. It's that in, in, in the story of Jonah is that Jonah said no to God. And when we say no to God, what we're actually doing is rebelling against God. See, if I asked you to divide, define the word rebellion, you might say, well, it's completely deserting God. Or it's completely living opposite of the way that God would want me to live. But I think what, what we see in the story of Jonah is when we in our hearts are saying no to God, what we're saying, God, I don't believe you know what's best for me. Or, God, I don't believe you know what you have my back. Or, God, I don't believe you're going to be with me throughout this entire time. And sometimes we may not think we're saying no to God. Sometimes we may not think we're going to Joppa to get on the boat to Tarshish. We think we're just saying, well, no, not right now. But really, whoever, you know, who knows that delayed obedience is really just disobedience. And so Jonah ran, we might stay, but... At the same time, are we really following God's call in our lives? You know, sometimes with my little ones, you guys ever played the, you know, the, the, uh, the come over here right now and they don't come, so you say three, two, one, right? How come the kids only come at one? You guys ever at one of that? Like, I'm like, Chloe, hey, get over here. No, 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 come. Three, two, 2.5, right? 2.75, 2.965, you know, she finally comes over with that little pouty face, and I'm doing everything inside of me to keep a straight face, right? You go to your room right now, you know? We've all been there. Why do we do that? We do that with God, don't we? God may put something on, on your life. He may put a call in your heart. He may be speaking to you, telling you that here is where I want you to go. Here's what I want you to do. And we say, not yet, God. I'm not ready yet, God. But I'll let you know. Delayed obedience is the same as disobedience, and we see that in Jonah, and we can see that in our own lives so much. And the reality is you can go to church, you can be part of a life group, you can be in a Bible reading plan and still say no to God. Notice what J.D. Greer says. This is a cutting, man, this cuts to the deep. J.D. says this. He says that you are never farther from God when you are close to him and say no, because it's us saying to God, God, I know what's best for my life. You don't. God, I have the best interest. I know where I need to go. God, I don't trust you that you know what's best for me. Here we see Jonah. He's a prophet of God. We see that God uses Jonah in 2 Kings 13 to change the heart of the king, but yet Jonah, he hears the news he doesn't like, and he gets out of there. He gets out of town, and he runs as far as he can. And the reality is for us in our lives, if we decide to run from God, 
there is always a ship going to Tarshish. Like there's always something that we can pour ourselves into to think that we're going to be able to get away from God or God, not yet. I'm going to focus myself on this. There's always a distraction. There's always another ship to Tarshish. There's always another excuse or distraction waiting for us. It makes it easy for us to say no to God. The problem is that ship to Tarshish takes us the wrong direction, 2,500 miles from where God wants us to go. And so I want you just to ask the question in your life right now. Where, maybe where is God calling you to go? Or what is God calling you to do that maybe you decided to find your ship? And what is your ship? Maybe it's distraction. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's family. It could be really good things. But what ship have you fled to to avoid what God is calling you to do? Notice here, back at our, our story here, we, we see that God is telling us that he may, do, he may call us to do things outside of our comfort zone, but there's a reality here we see in the story of Jonah is that we can't outrun God. That you, you, no matter how far you try to go, you try to get on that ship to Tarshish, you can't outrun God. No matter how far you go, God is there. Notice what happens in verse 4. Look here. So Jonah goes down, he gets on the ship to Tarshish, he's with the sailors, he's out into the ocean and, or into the sea, and notice what happens. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, verse 4, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was, fall- and was fast asleep. So the, so the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Notice here in verse 4. Jonah gets on this ship, and he thinks he's going to outrun God. And he thinks he's going to get away, but he's reminded that you can't outrun God. That God's relentless grace is always pursuing us. I like what Paul David Tripp says. This is a great quote. He says this. He says, running from the presence of God has the futility of trying to shovel smoke with a rake. It's good, isn't it? You can't outrun the presence of God. God's presence is always near. David says in Psalm 139, he says, where shall I go? Where shall I flee? Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I, shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. God is everywhere. And so we might have a hard situation in front of us, and we say the most easy thing for me to do is to flee and to get out of here and to run. But God says, you can't outrun my grace. You can't get too far away from me. I see you, and I'm always there. So Jonah, he's in this really tough situation right now where the, there is this storm now that's hit the ship. And the sailors who are, uh, you know, veteran sailors, these guys are like, we're, we're going to go down. Like, we're, we've seen storms before. This is a serious storm. It's going to break up our boat. And I want you to see that, that although we might try to outrun God, there's a reality that while we can outrun God, our disobedience and running from God still impacts other people. You notice these sailors these sailors didn't do anything to earn Jonah the wrath of God or to be part of this storm, but yet they're here. And it's because of Jonah's problems and Jonah's disobedience. Imagine these sailors here. They're, they're looking around at this storm, and they're going, where is Jonah? And he's downstairs asleep. Sometimes sin lulls us to sleep, doesn't it, when we run from God. 
So Jonah's disobedience has now put these entire lives of the entire ship at risk. See, our disobedience to God doesn't just impact us. It impacts other people. I remember the first time I flew on an airplane, and we were going through the, the pre-flight instructions. And the, um, the, the flight attendant was given the spiel, you know, and she says to me, hey, if the cabin loses pressure and loses oxygen, your masks will drop down from the top. But make sure to put your mask on first before you help the person next to you. And I thought to myself, that was interesting. If I'm a parent, I'm going to want to put my mask, the mask on my kid first. But the reality is, unless I have oxygen first, I'm going to pass out and black out and not be able to help the person next to me. But if I made that decision and I go down, then I'm going to impact the person in the seat to my right and to my left. See, there's, there's the, the reality that the consequences of our sin and our disobedience and our running from God don't just affect me. We think they do. We like to believe that they do. And we say, I'm going to get out of here because I don't want to be in this uncomfortable situation. But really, what we do impacts other people. And so Jonah has impacted an entire ship full of people. And when, when we run from God, we are depriving other people of the richness and life that Jesus offers because we have said no and have gone the other direction. And so here we have Jonah running from God, and he has impacted an entire ship worth of people here. And I, and I guess one of the questions I think that God wants us to ask as we think about what Jonah's doing is this, is who has our running impacted? Like, is there anybody in your life that God has called you to speak into or to reconcile our friendship or our relationship or to, or to really dive in and, and, and work on something with your faith? And God has called you to go across the street and talk to that neighbor or God has called you to invite somebody at work into your life group and you just, because you've said not yet or you ran, who have we impacted? Who is not experiencing the grace of God because we decided that we weren't ready yet to step out? And do what God was calling us to do. So God is telling us here that, that he may ask us to do hard things. And we can't run, outrun his grace. But third, notice here that God may send a storm to get our attention. Here's Jonah fast asleep, lulled to sleep at the bottom of the ship while the sailors are out trying to figure out what to do. And notice what happens here. Verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and guess who the lot fell on? It fell on Jonah. And they said to him, tell us, who's, tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And notice I want you to see Jonah wakes up. The God sends this storm and Jonah wakes up and he exhibits some pretty serious spiritual maturity here because he realizes that the storm was his fault. I think sometimes we have to realize in life that God allows storms to come to get our attention. Now, not all storms are the result of our disobedience. Not all storms are the result of us running from God. We live in a broken world. We live in a world full of sin. And so cancer and, and, and accidents and, 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 and really sad things happen all the time. And those aren't necessarily the result of something that we did wrong. But God does allow the consequences of our actions to impact us and to help wake us up. And that God sometimes sends a storm to help get our attention. And so for you, you might look at your life and, and you might say, well, I, 
I feel like I've been running from God. And I look around and I see broken relationships and I see challenges. I see difficulties at, at work. Or maybe you feel like your faith isn't strong and you just feel far from God right now. And I wonder, could some of that tension that you're feeling be that you've been running? That God has been calling you to him and in, instead you've ran the opposite direction? We see that in Jonah's life here, too, and the consequences that we face should get our attention and should wake us up. Notice it does for Jonah. Notice what happens in verse 11. So then they said to him, well, what shall we do? What, what shall we do to you? He said, the, the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more temp- tempestuous. It's a great word, by the way, tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and, let, and lay not us on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it is pleasing you. Notice that these sailors have way more grace for Jonah than Jonah has for Nineveh. That they, they don't want to hurt Jonah. They don't want his blood to be on their hands, but they know that they're in a bad spot because of Jonah on the boat. And Jonah says to them, there's only one way to fix this situation. That's for you to throw me overboard. That's for you to get me out of this situation. So notice verse 15. So they pick up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the man feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Jonah realized this mess. And could you imagine being a sailor on the boat? The moment they throw Jonah out into the water, it just stops. I mean, that had to have been eerie, right? I mean, that had to have been really strange. The, the, the storm just ceases. And it actually says that, that these men gave an offering and a, a sacrifice, and they made vows to the Lord. Now, we don't know if they got saved or not. We can hope they did. But they saw the power of God. They saw the power of God over creation. Church, we see God send storms to get our attention. But he doesn't send those storms to pay us back or to get even. But he sends those storms to get our attention so he can bring us back. See, I think some of us have been in a storm. Some of us have been in a storm recently, and we think it's because God's wanting to get even with us. We think we've done something so bad, or we've hurt something, we've hurt someone, and this is just God getting even, so I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to feel the pain, and I'm going to take my licks. But I think what God wants us to see is that, that God's not trying to pay us back because we didn't follow him. God's trying to bring us back. That James 1.17 says that every good gift comes from down from the Father of lights. That God is the giver of good gifts. That God doesn't bring temptations into our life. And God allows storms to come, but he doesn't bring them to beat us up. And he doesn't bring them to, to get even. He brings those storms to bring us back. Notice what happens next. We see kind of the, the, the fourth truth that God wants us to see here is that God relentlessly pursues us to bring us back. God brought that storm to get Jonah's attention, but God relentlessly pursues us in his grace to bring us back. Notice what happens next. Imagine Jonah. He's floating in the water. Next week, we'll talk about what's going through his mind at the time. But Jonah's floating through the water. And notice what God does. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish. Could have been a whale. We don't know. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of that fish three days and three nights. 
Now, I want to stop here for a quick second because I know this is the spot in the story that some of us have trouble with. We're like, okay, I get everything else, the whole running from God, and I, I see God's power over the storm, but hold on, a fish, right? Uh, or a whale. Like, you know, you may have gone through this story in Sunday school class, and it sounds good and it sounds fun, but you wonder to yourself, I don't know if I can get behind that. I've had conversations with people literally, and they say, you know, I can't believe the Bible because of the story of Jonah. Because it'd be impossible for somebody to live in the belly of a fish for three nights and three days. So I just want to ad- address the elephant in the room or the whale. I know, that was bad. I won't do that again. But I, I think this is an important thing for us to talk about, this idea of Jonah being in the belly of the fish. Now, some of you may have heard this story, so forgive me. But did you guys hear the story two months ago, what came out of Cape Cod? Check this out. This was so good. I was reading an article in Cape Cod Times about a man by the name of Michael Packard. Now, Michael Packard is a lobster diver. This is what he does for a living, believe it or not. He dives in scuba gear to the bottom, grabs lobsters. So Packard is out. This is, I think, uh, mid-June, two months ago. Packard is out diving for lobsters. He's about 10 feet from the bottom of the ocean. And all of a sudden, he feels um, his body shake like he got shoved, and then everything goes black. And so Packard, he's an experienced diver. He thinks he's in the mouth of a great white shark. And, of course, in that moment, you're going, this is it. I'm done. I'm, I'm, this is it. But he says he's feeling around. And he doesn't feel teeth like a shark would have. He realizes he's in the mouth of a humpback whale. And so he, he's got his scuba gear on, so he starts to, like, you know, kind of struggle inside, and he feels the whale switch his head back left and right. And then all of a sudden, he thinks he was in there about 40 to 50 seconds, okay? Now, that 40 to 50 seconds has to feel like hours, right, when you're in the mouth of a whale. And so he, he has a friend who's out on the boat waiting for him to come back, and he doesn't see him. And all of a sudden, his friend sees a whale, a humpback whale, come bursting out of the top of the ocean, and he thinks it's a great white at first because the way it came out. And then he notices his friend, Michael, get spit out into the air and land in the water. And he said it was the craziest thing. So he, he zooms his boat over, picks him up, calls 911. They get him to the hospital. Turns out he's okay. He had some bumps and some bruises. This is him right here, Michael Packard. 40 to 50 seconds in the mouth of a whale. But there was another story that came out of Cape Cod, too, about 150 years ago. And some of you may have heard this story before. It's a guy by the name of James Bartley. And James was out on a fishing expedition, and he disappeared. And his friends thought that he drowned or that he died, and, but they, they, or he got eaten by a sperm whale, massive whale. And so they harpoon the whale. They bring him the whale over, and they cut it open. This is three days later, and they find him in the whale. And they think that he was in the belly of the whale for 36 hours. And they said when they pulled him out, his skin was completely bleached because of all the gastric juices. Could you imagine? That's just how nasty that would be. And so there's no way to verify if that story was true or not. That was 150 years ago. But it's really interesting, by the way. So I think sometimes we're like, well, I can't believe the story about Jonah because I need proof. I need to meet somebody who is in the belly of a whale right now, and then I'll believe it's true. So go talk to Michael Packard, right? He'll tell you what you need to know. But, but here's, the, here's the reality, though. These stories are great, and I hope that they are true. But it doesn't really matter. It doesn't. And you might say, why? We want scientific, ev- scientific evidence for everything we believe, but why does it not really matter? See, we, we don't really need a modern-day story to prove this happened. And here's why. Because the God of the Bible, the God that we believe in, 
He's a God of miracles. Amen? And this book is full of miracles. This book is full of miracles. We see stories where Jesus fed 5,000 people with five Hawaiian rolls and two fish sticks. Right? We see that Jesus straight up walked on water. That Jesus calmed the storm by saying, hush, be still. We see miracle after miracle. And we see a man who was beaten, who was crucified, who lost his life, was buried in a tomb with a thousand pound stone. And three days later, he came back to life. If God works miracles like that, you think God can keep a man alive in the belly of a fish for three days? You, you bet he can. You bet he can. Now, do I believe that Jonah was a real man who lived in the stomach of a fish or a whale for three days? 100%. 100% I do. Because God is a miracle worker. And God is a way maker. And God had a plan for Jonah in his life, and God was not going to let that plan fail. And the reality is, my friends, God has a plan for your life too, and God's not going to let your plan fail, his plan for your life fail either. And God will make a way to bring you back. It could be a whale. It could be a red snapper. It could be a tornado. It could be a chariot of fire. It could be the words of a friend or, a band, or, or uh, something hanging on the doorknob of your home. But God is the way maker, and he will make a way to bring you back. So, friends, as we wrap up our time today, I want to ask a question. And I want you this week to really seriously consider this. And, and here's my challenge for you. I want you, to, I want you to, to identify one thing where you may feel like you're running from God. Where are you running from God in your life where you need to run to him? What is something that God has spoken to you and called you to do that you feel like you're running away, but God is saying, come near and trust me? See, I don't know where you are right now in your life, and I don't know what's going on with your friend circles or at work or at school or wherever you might be, but here's the reality. is that God loves you so much that he sent his son here for you. That God sent Jesus to step out of heaven, to step into this earth, and to give his life for you to trade places with you so you can experience the richest, deepest fullness of life that you could never experience anywhere else. And what God is saying to you, that whether it, it, it is that you're running from, from God because he's called you to step out and maybe begin serving, or God's calling you to repair a relationship, wherever it is that you may be running from God, right now God is saying to you, my way is always better. God's way is always sweeter, and God's path is always the most abundant path we could ever follow. So this week, as you think about that, where is God calling you to turn and to follow him? My challenge for you is to step into high gear like Sidney McLaughlin and run as fast as you can to Jesus and watch what God does when he has your full attention. Would you pray with me?